Well, hi, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of uh, Faith Greater Than Fear. We have had just a fabulous time interviewing people, and we've started to have, by popular demand, a couple of people rejoin our programs that we're going to dive in a little bit more into their lives and into their perspectives. They're just so highly esteemed and valued, and one of them is, of course, uh, probably most of you watching today won't need any introduction, but my father-in-law and the founder, more importantly, of GMPI, Good News Productions International, Zayden Nutt. Welcome, Zayden. Thank you. It's good to be here with you again. Absolutely. And so I want to share uh, with our audience today, Zayden, we've been in these times talking about the COVID impact. And on top of that, in our country has been layered the racial discussion. And you have just had a very unique and special upbringing, a very special portion of your ministry in where you wound up being the minority. And so you have, I think, a very keen perspective. So share with us how you grew up and where you grew up and, and the process of being in the minority and how that shaped your heart and shaped your thinking, if you don't mind. Well, when we were in Africa, we had a man come to us with a Time magazine, and on the front of it had a picture. He knew I was from the USA. He said, Zayden, you need to see this. And on the cover of the Time magazine had Gary, Indiana, Sin City, USA. And that's what it was known as back in the 50s and 60s. It soon moved to Calumet City, but it was Gary, and that's where I actually grew up. It was 75% black, and uh, we just grew up that way. And I had several black friends, played basketball together, football together. You know, we sweated together and did all sorts of things together. And uh, he was a good enough friend that he said, there's parts of this place that when you start driving, you don't want to drive through. And he said, I'll tell you where they are. And he said, if you have any questions, you give me a call or come to me and we'll talk about it. So anyway, we grew up in that situation and we were not rich. In fact, many of the black people had much better homes and lives than, than we did. I remember for a few years, my dad put cardboard nailed inside of our garage. We lived in the garage in order to rent out the house so my parents had enough money. I remember having one egg a week and that was on Saturday after having mush most every day other than that. And I think most people would know what mush is. But in 1940, there were some people that came out from Hammond, Indiana to start a, a church in the area there. Well, as time went by, I was 11 years of age uh, that was in 1947, actually. And uh, I dedicated my life to be a missionary, and I thought maybe Africa might be the place. So then in the early 50s, I was in high school, freshman in high school, 1950. And our preacher, he actually got a few other churches together, talked to me, with me about it, and said, we think we want to start a church in uh, in." right in the downtown Gary area, a little bit on the side of downtown. And he said, we think that you might be a key because you have several friends there. 
you go to school with and so forth. Well, this took about two years to develop. So then by then I was a junior in high school and he said, you know, our elders have also said, let's build a chapel on wheels. Elmer Kyle from New York City had Goyi Chapel and they had this chapel on wheels and they went around New York City. So he came and talked to our youth group and we started building this chapel on wheels. My dad was a carpenter just down the street. There was a carpenter. It was a deacon at the church. And so we built this thing and we took that over into Gary and right in the, the heavily black area. And uh, it was exciting because it was an old bus body, 1933 Chevrolet bus chassis. They left the seats in it. So we'd drive over there, play music on a loudspeaker. And then we'd invite these people to come in. We'd have a little Sunday school right there in the bus using the seats. And so it was really my desire to go to Africa at a very young age. And so we actually started then the Terrytown Church of Christ. That was Don Hargrave who had that kind of vision. And so he immediately contacted Tibbs Maxey. Tibbs Maxey was not really appreciated during his lifetime because he dedicated his entire life to serving the Black community. In fact, he wrote one book that is so appropriate for today called One Wide River, talking about the, the difference between the Black and the Whites. Well, I may be running down some rabbit trails here, but it was fascinating how he worked with us. There were some people in uh, some of the more affluent churches than where we were that were so afraid of this because soon these people would be wanting to come to our Christian service camp, our inspirations, and so forth. And I remember two of the deacons that left one of the churches because of that. But all of that, I think, conditioned me being well in minority to have a respect for them, particularly oh, one Curtis Taylor was an outstanding person, a great friend. So anyway, it was just a, a conditioning of my whole life in that situation. Well, I think, and I appreciate telling the story and, and the narrative on some of your childhood upbringing and, and the fact that when I have visited with my Black um, friends here in Joplin recently, the things they've said, I said, what can we do to tear down these racial divides? And they said, one person at a time, one conversation at a time, one good deed at a time, one church to another at a time. And the thing is, is you were living that out and doing that in Gary, Indiana, with your leadership and with your friends back in the 50s. And why we didn't keep that going, why we didn't learn those lessons that we've got to now relearn again is probably a little unfortunate for a lot of us and really appreciate that. Said you want to go to Africa. So tell us, I'm going to ask you quickly, tell us, we've got so much we want to pack in this uh, time, about the story when you were packing up and going uh, to take your vehicle, we're going to put it on a ship, and you were meeting some people down there, and just what happened in one uh, exchange with a, a certain black man that you uh, had uh, come in contact with when you were getting ready to ship your stuff to Africa. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, it was nothing really for me, but the people around were very impressed. And one lady, uh, Marge Boudreaux, has written about it, and it, she's told this story many times. 
but it was a fascinating trip. But as we were driving from Houston to New Orleans in the deep south of the USA, and we pulled into this one gas station and a black man pumped the gas into the car. And uh, then we were asking about directions as Sid was asking him. And uh, he was just very kind. And uh, I just was very appreciative. And so from my background, I simply said to him, thank you, sir. And Marge was taken back by his expression, his response, because he looked right past me. He heard this, thank you, sir, and uh, looked actually, well, not past me, he turned around and looked behind him. He was sure that the manager of the gas station, who was a white man, must have been the one to whom I was speaking. But it was to this black man who was very kind to us, and I didn't notice his color any more than anything else. So anyway, Marjorie was just fascinated by that, and she said, these people have never been called sir. Well, and I, we, we want to dive into the stories. Of course, there's a little bit of sorrow in, in the fact that not everyone called of whether you were one color, white or black, sir, to each other. The, the element, again, was we needed to have had more respect to one another, like you were at that point showing respect. And the dialogue to get today would not be where it's at had we been living more like Christ and understanding that what you kind of highlighted was that you had this privileged upbringing that would allow you to understand that all of us are in God's image and that living in a minority situation, uh, flipping the color, but still living in a minority situation was what you grew up in. It's what you experienced. And then later on going to Africa, tell us a little bit about how then, you know, I was a Caucasian American going to black Africa. Some of what that turned into in terms of your opportunities. Again, you would be in the minority and some of what that situation would teach you in terms of um, respect for all mankind, regardless of race, creed, or color. I think, like you said, we, we were very, very blessed to have grown up in that situation because of the background it gave us when we did go to Africa, where I already had a desire to be there had a deep respect for the African people, saw them uh, you know, as equal with us. And of course, our greatest privilege was that many people we were around before we went were black, white, and uh, we were you know, very privileged and blessed, but we felt really privileged because we got to work under Chief Gautamusandu Dindawa. He, actually scolded us for not coming sooner. At the same time, he said, my people will not want you, but he said, I'll do everything I can to help you, but you'll have to win their confidence. Mm. I'll not go into that story unless there's time, but he said, all they know about the white people is what they've heard down through the years. There were no other whites living in the area. Our nearest little town was 63 miles away. 45 miles of that was gravel. That's where our post office was, nearest store. And uh, the chief said, my people know of the white men from hearing stories that they took 
our women and children and sold them as slaves. And so he said their perspective of a white man goes back a hundred years to the days of slavery. And of course, oral communication was how they you know, communicated. Well, there were many different times when the chief was very, very helpful to us. He had not one day of formal education, but was probably one of the wisest men I've ever known. Just an outstanding individual. In fact, years later, he actually made me in a certain ceremony to be his son. He said, you're the only white son I've got, but he said, you must be my son. When uh, the Unilateral Declaration of Independence was declared by white Ian Smith, the American Council came out to the mission we were at, Chitamoyo Mission, and uh, warned us that if, the, if this declaration was made, he said, we're going to have to get all of our American people out of the country. Will you come into town? We said we'd be safer out here, 63 miles from the nearest town and 200 miles from where he lived, than we would in there. Well, the chief heard about all of this, and he came to tell us, I mean, we were outnumbered with blacks out there, many to one. The whole country was 34 blacks to one white. But the chief came and said, Mr. Knott, he said, you don't worry about a thing. He said, we will take care of you. He was a, you know, marvelous man. I love that story. I've heard it several times. I didn't, and it obviously still resonates with your heart very deeply. And um, when we have that kind of human respect one to another, and then underneath it, as a Christian to a Christian, it, it, it's inseparable. And I, I know the same thing having lived in Kenya for years that I've said to people several times, if I hear, and I'll list one or two, if it's Tom Omim or if it's Dennis Oko, if I hear those men passing away and I still have capacity of health and money, I'm on a plane to be at their memorial service because they're like my brothers. And that's what you felt with Chief Dandawa and with many others, of course, either in Gary, Indiana or in uh, Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. And that's what Jesus loves. That's what he sees as heaven on earth. And that's what I wanted our, our audience to hear from Zayden and to see and feel. So as we finish up, Zayden, as a man of wisdom, lots of experience. I mean, you know, history, my goodness. What would you counsel us uh, from your privileged vantage point, growing up, living in Africa, working internationally, multicultures for generations now you've done that. What would you tell us as a church today in this season of COVID, in this season of, of racial tensions in our country? Hey, my friends, this is what we can do. This is what I think Jesus would have us do. What would you say? We will keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is a positive presentation of the Christ around whom all people around the world can rally as the head of our church and his Father in heaven, our God, who created us all, and we are all one race under him and Jesus Christ. We've got to keep our focus on God, 
and his word. And the, the genius of that is, of course, obviously he created us and is the God of the universe. But I think the genius of that was pointed out by Francis Schaeffer. He said all sorts of churches, all sorts of races, different people can negotiate. They can have ecumenical movements. They can do all sorts of things to try and agree and work out peace. But he said, it will always come back to men because men have done that. He said, if you have, in, well, in his human manifesto, he said, if you have God and honor him as the authority, then you rally around him. Everyone can do that. So he said, it takes this outside force who's the creator of the universe, who gave us his word, penned on paper, so that we can follow it. So he said, unity cannot be negotiated between all kinds of men in this regard. Said unity comes when we all focus on God and him and his word, then we are at peace with one another because we're following the same God and the same authority, which we have no right to change. Yeah, great words. And I think of, um... You and I have both done uh, weddings and we probably have done some premarital counseling. One of the things we will tell the couple is that if you want to ensure unity in your marriage is that not just putting one or the other and lifting them up better than yourself, but if both of you will look to God at the top of the triangle, as you get closer and closer to God, you get closer and closer to one another. And that's, I think, what you're talking about and illustrating when it comes to the different races. We need the diversity. It's what illustrates the beauty of God. And I like what one of my African-American friends said recently in Joplin here. He said, Mike, I'm really tired. He said, when I said, well, we want to get the white churches talking with the black churches. And he said, I don't. And the guy said, what do you mean? I want us just talking as the church. Yes. Big C. And I think that's the essence of what you're trying to say as well. And it was clearly stated. And so I want to thank you, Zayden, for sharing some of your heartfelt stories and backgrounds from the childhood years and the ministry years. And uh, for all of you that you've uh, had another chance to hear Zayden, many of you who are going to listen to our program know of Zayden's and uh, his uh, lovely wife, Helen, and their Great, great work. And so if you've enjoyed what he shared today, please share it with your own social media channels and friends as well. And we hope you've had a wonderful time listening and getting a peek inside of Zion's life. And in Zion, just God is still working and he's worked long time before in some of the narratives that Zion has shared, and he's still working that out today in our lives. So let us go back to history. Let us learn the lessons from people like Zion that and so from all of us here at GMPI, we wish you a great day until another episode of Faith Greater Than Fear. God bless you. 